Welcome to the Cherry Hills Church Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Origin Story, studying the book of Genesis as the foundation of the whole story of the gospel. Thanks for joining us as we learn who God has always been and who we are as part of his story. Friends, as Luke mentioned, we're starting a study in Genesis, and we can't understand Genesis unless we understand the context in which it was written. And so I'm going to ask you to exercise a little divine imagination right now. I want you to imagine this scenario. You are a Jewish slave, and you're working in Egypt under very cruel conditions, and you have no hope of ever getting out. And the reason you have no hope is because your great-grandparents were slaves, your grandparents were slaves, your parents were slaves, and your children are probably going to be slaves as well. You have been told over and over again, this is your purpose. This is the meaning of your life. You are to serve us, the Pharaoh in Egypt, doing menial labor. You've also been told that this is the will of the gods for you. Horus, the god of the sky. You have Noon, the goddess of the watery abyss. You have Hopi, the god of fertility. Kek and Kauket, deities of light and darkness. You have He, god of infinity and eternity. And you have Aya, the moon god. I'm just naming a few of the thousands of gods of this culture. And then one day, a man by the name of Moses, you knew him. He originally grew up in Pharaoh's house. He was a prince of Egypt, but he decided to take matters into his own hands to free the Jewish people from slavery. And instead, he ended up murdering someone, had to flee for his life. And for 40 years, this man Moses lived as a shepherd in the wilderness But then all of a sudden, one day he comes back to you, to your people. He gathers you together and he says to you as a Jewish slave, in the beginning, God. Not God's, just lowercase God for everything that you could touch or see or feel. He is coming to tell you, actually, there's just one God. And this God wants me to come and represent him in order to rescue you. According to Moses, that is the origin of the Jewish people's story. And as Christians who have now been grafted into that story, it's our story as well. As we've already mentioned, we're starting a new series today in the book of Genesis. And you can't understand Genesis unless you understand that. The word Genesis literally means origins. And that's exactly what Genesis is. It teaches us the origins of all things. It's going to take us back to the very beginning. And it lays the foundation for everything that we know about God, about ourselves, about faith, about life. Or if you're following on your notes, here's the sentence we'll be using throughout this series. Genesis is the origin story of who God is. Why? Because it's important for us to know who we are. And in order to know who we are, we've got to know where we came from. Well, Genesis is written to help us know those things. Who we are, where we came from, and what that matters for us still today. Genesis is our ancestry. Now, today I have the job of only talking about four words in the book of Genesis. There are only two words in Hebrew, actually. In fact, would you read them out loud with me there on your notes? At the very top, it says, in the beginning, God. That's it. Next week, Brian has to talk about about 200 words, so I've got four words here. 
Now, before I unpack these four words and what they mean, it's important we do a little background about Genesis. Like, what actually are we going to be learning about together in this study? So let's walk through this. First, if you're all following on your notes, Genesis is first and foremost about God. He's the main character. Even now today, friends, God is the main character. We don't like to believe that, especially as Americans, because we think the universe centers around us. This is my story. I'm living in it. You're just like bit players. If you've ever had multiple children, if you're a family, right, if you're parents, you know as soon as you have that second child show up, what happens to the first child? Whoa, 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 what? I am not the center of the universe anymore? And they struggle with that, friends. We too struggle. But we've got to get this clear. This is God's world, and we are living in it. But the good news is, number two, Genesis gives us the origin and purpose of humankind, which is... God has invited us to experience his story with him. Now, without Genesis, we would not know where we came from or why we exist or what our purpose and meaning is in life. But because we have Genesis of evolution, then we have no meaning or purpose or dignity. It's as simple as that. If you're just like everything else of creation, if you're just another animal, so to speak, then really what is our purpose? What is meaning in life if that's the case? I've been reading Soren Kierkegaard a little bit lately, and his most famous book is called Fear and Trembling. It's the story of Abraham. But he starts this whole book with this statement. He says, if there were no eternal consciousness in a man, if at the foundation of all there lay only a wildly seething power, does that sound familiar, right? The primordial goo that we apparently came from? which writhing with obscure passions produced everything that is great and everything that is insignificant, if a bottomless void never satiated lay hidden beneath all, what then would life be but despair? If you're an accident, if I'm an accident, for God, in God's image, in order to represent God in this world, and by that alone, you have an identity. You have meaning. And you have purpose. Third, Genesis reveals the importance of relationships. This is a big theme in Genesis, right? First of all, our relationship with God, but also our relationship with others. It's in Genesis where we get the idea of marriage and family and community and friendships. All these established by God because he knew it was not good for us to be alone. And the reason I highlight this one is because we live in an ever-increasing isolated and lonely society today. But Genesis shows that's not how we live. We don't live Lone Ranger lives. We are meant to live together and do life together, as we say around here, with others. Fourth, we're going to learn that Genesis tells us the reality of evil, sin, and judgment. Now, what it does tell us is that you and I have an enemy. And this enemy desires nothing more than to lead you astray from God because he knows in God that is where you will find purpose and meaning and joy. We also know in Genesis that all of us have walked away from God at one time. We have turned our back on God just like Adam and Eve. And the result of that, our choice to rebel against God is that evil entered into the world. An evil so deep that we lost our ability to now commune with God in the way he wanted to and to commune with each other the way we were meant to. Additionally, the worst part is we learn that we can not fix it. 
There's nothing I can do in myself to get that relationship, that communion back with God. And the result is death and judgment. If you've never read Genesis, get ready. This is probably the darkest book of going. Genesis also hints towards God's plan of salvation. The bad news, I can do nothing to restore what God originally created for me to experience. The good news is his origins for redemptions are already seen in the first book. For example, when Adam and Eve sin and they are sent east of Eden, right? God promises to Eve that out of your line one day will come someone who will crush the serpent's head. Later, in Genesis 12, God calls a man by the name of Abram. He renames him Abraham, and he says, Abraham, listen, from your family line, somebody is going to come that will bless the entire world. And then at the end of Genesis, Jacob, on his deathbed, is blessing his sons, and he comes to his son Judah, and he says to him, there will be a king from your line one day to whom all nations will bow. Already in Genesis. Now, friends, I can't just overemphasize, I can't, how important Genesis is. Not only if you want to understand the rest of the Bible, but if you want to understand who you are, what your purpose is, what your meaning is, and who God is. And for the rest of our time, let's focus on this idea of who God is. In the beginning, God. The Jewish people would have thought, well, what God? Great question. In Shakespeare's famous play, Romeo and Juliet, The main character, Juliet, asks this famous question, right? What's in a name? And then she goes on to say, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Now, nobody reads Shakespeare anymore, so what is she actually saying here? You do. That's good. (laughs) Essentially, what she's saying here, it doesn't matter what you call a rose. A rose is still a rose based on its essence, based on its smell, based on its looks, right? And she's saying this, of course, if you don't know Romeo and Juliet, because she's in love with a man with a different name, Montagues and the Capulets. And this is causing incredible strife within their family. And she's saying, it doesn't matter what our names are. Love should win. And in many ways, she's right. But in the Bible, we're told that a person's name is extremely important. Because a name tells us about that person's character, their destiny, their purpose, their nature, their calling. And we're going to see God changes people's names throughout this book. For example, let's just take my name. My name is Steve. To my mother and father, it is Stephen. And you better not mess that up. Right? (laughs) And yet I have other names as well. I am a father. I'm a husband. My friends from college call me Pat. I'm a son, I'm a pastor. All of these names tell you something about how we can know him. Now, obviously, the most common name for God is what? God. It's God. In the beginning, God. This is the word used in Genesis 1.1. It comes from the Hebrew word Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, which means a divine being. Other religions use this word as well to describe their gods, right? Elohim. But the good news is that this God isn't just some general or vague God out there. This God, the Judeo-Christian God, wants us to know him personally. And so, he gives us his name. 
In the introduction, I mentioned Moses, who wrote Genesis. He came to the Jewish people in slavery. He explained to them about God. He explained to them what God had for him to do. You might remember the story, right? Moses shepherding out in the wilderness. He hears, sees this bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. He goes over to it, out of the bush. Go and rescue my people. I've seen their plight. And just, again, in the context, think about this. Moses is thinking at this point, okay, well, which God are you? He had grown up in a culture with so many gods. Like, which God are you? What should I tell the people when I show up? And God's incredible answer is on your notes there. Exodus 3.14, he says, can you read it with me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I don't recognize that name. You the God of the sun? You... You're the God of the river? I am. He goes on to say in verse 16, God says, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me generation to generation. This can also be translated as I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or I like, I am the one who is. Now, again, we can't understand how profound this would be unless we put ourselves in the Jewish people's shoes. What God is revealing here is that, listen, I'm the only God. I'm the only one. I'm the one and only. I'm the true God. The Jews, over time, held this name for God, Yahweh, to be so holy that they refused to even pronounce it. And so we get the, the transliteration today. Some of you might know Jehovah. It's the same idea. In English, it's been translated as Lord with all capital letters. And so listen, if you're reading your Bible, you'll see the word Lord quite a bit. Anytime it's written in all capital letters, it's because it's this name right here, God's personal name, Yahweh. This is going to be a little theology 101. I hope you're good good with that. But the first thing we learn from God's name, Yahweh, is that God is eternal and unchangeable. We sang some songs about this today. Yahweh was there in the beginning. And to be clear here, again, if you're on your notes, be very clear here. In Hebrew, beginning literally means before time existed. Yahweh was before time. I can't wrap my mind around that, right? Yahweh is outside of time. To put it simply, when we talk about origin story, Yahweh has no origin story. He just is. He just was. He will be who he will be. He is who he is. I am who I am. We discover the eternalness of God everywhere in the Bible, right? Abraham calls God the eternal God. Moses writes about God's eternalness in Psalm 90 verse 2 when he writes, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you origin story for God. He simply is who he is and will be who he will be. And because this is true about God, it also means that he is unchangeable. God will never change. He can never change. The great news about that is, that means something like when God tells us, I am love, God is love, that will never change. If, if we're in Christ and we sin, God's love, unlike the other gods of Egypt, right? They don't go on a whim. Oh, now I don't like you, and now I'm going to curse you. Oh, now I love you, and I'm not. No, he doesn't change. 
His love is the same today, yesterday, forevermore. On the other hand, that also means that God is holy, and that will never change either. I want his holiness to change, to fit into my life at times. This is what our culture wants, right? Let's rework what the Bible says about these certain issues. Listen, his holiness is, was, and will ever be. You're getting older. I'm staying the same. Your hair is graying or falling out. Can I get an amen for the falling out part? Yeah. <laughs> We're getting wrinkles. Our skin is sagging. Our memories are fading. Our relationships change throughout seasons. Our life stages change. But God never changes. Yahweh is the same. He is who he is, and he always will be who he will be. Now, part of what that means that we're going to have to discover if you are a, a Christian is that means that God isn't always going to be who we want him to be. Yeah? He's just not going to be who I always want him to be because he just is. He is who he is. Sometimes I want to shape him into my own image. That's called idolatry, the first sin. And I want to shape God around my life as the center of the universe. But we can't do that. God is not like us. He can't move. Second thing we learn about the name Yahweh is that God is self-existent. In other words, everything else we see, touch, feel, taste had an origin. It was created at some point, but the Bible says Yahweh had no origin. He's independent. He does not owe his being or existence to anyone or anything. He simply existed. Think of it this way. All of us exist because we were created. Okay? See if you can follow along here. We were preceded by a mother and a father. Every one of us in this room, right? Had those? Great. So we are because they were. You are because they were. I am because my parents were. I am not because I am. And you are not because you are. If there was no them, there would be no you. Are you feeling a little like this right now? Did you also know that I'm not allowed to say what the name of the game is because we, we taped this? It's crazy to me. I could be sued by the NFL if I... <laughs> Friends, part of what God's self-existence means then, again, is that he's not answerable to me. And I don't always like that. I want God to give an account of himself. I want God to... Conv- defend his actions. I want him to answer my questions. Why are you doing this? Sometimes in his mercy, he might reveal glimpses of that to us, but oftentimes he does not. God is self-existent. He doesn't need to answer to me. Read the book of Job if you want an example of this, where Job, 40 chapters of question, 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 God, get on the stand. I'm going to prosecute you. And at the end, all God says to Job is, were you there when I create To say God is self-existent means God has no origins. To say God is self-sufficient means he doesn't need anything or anyone. No one does he depend on, right? This is not true of us. We have a lot of things that we depend on. I depend on oxygen to live. If you cut that off from me, I wouldn't live very long. I I depend on light and heat. I I depend on gravity and the laws of nature. Here's the thing. If all that was taken away, guess who would still be there? Yahweh. He needs nothing. 
I'm sharing this because a lot of times when people teach Genesis, what you hear is that God created us because he needed us. That we cooperate somehow with God. In other words, they might say something like, God needed glory, so he created us so that we could give him glory. Or God needed love, so he created us so that we could love him. He doesn't need us. He is self-sufficient. I love what Arthur Pink writes about this in his old but excellent book, The Attributes of God. He says, God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside himself, determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure. Now, you may hear that, the self-sufficiency thing, and I think a temptation for us as humans is to go, well, then what is my purpose? What is my value? If I'm not here to give God glory or to give God meaning or love, friends, this is where we get into where religion starts to take place. Religious people struggle with this, right? If, if my value isn't determined by what I can do for God, then what is my purpose? Well, listen, that's workspace righteousness, and we see it already in Genesis. He said, male and female, I will make them in my image. And right then and right there, you are given dignity. You are given meaning. You are given purpose. You are given value. Now, don't get me wrong. God has entrusted us to work alongside of him. It's his story, and he invites us into it. For example, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and so on. We're going to look at these verses, right? God gives us a vocation. Hey, I want you to join me in this. Even later, as Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives us a mission. It's right here on our walls, right? I want you to go into the world. Represent me. Baptize them. The nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But God doesn't need us to do that. That he chose to invite us into this is amazing to me. I'm going to put it as simply as I can right now. God doesn't need me to be preaching right now. He doesn't need me to defend him, to explain him. To convince you of him. But because God is grace, he invites me into these things. He invites us into his story. How cool is that? Fourth, not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but we learn in Genesis that God is one God in three persons. We call this the Trinity. And remarkably, the Trinity is embedded right away in verse 1. One, the word God, I already said, is Elohim. Did you know that's actually in the plural in Hebrew? God, plural, created, singular. You're going to see this throughout the rest of Genesis, even next week. We're going to see the Spirit of God hovered above creation. We learned in our series in John, right, that in the beginning was the Word. He was with God, and through Jesus, all things were made. The last thing we learn about God, well, there's a lot more things, but here's, friends, one of the characteristics of God giving us his name, Yahweh, means that he is a person, not a thing, not an it. God is not the force, right? May the force be with you. No, no, no. God is a person who is intimately involved and engaged with his creation. We are going to see in Genesis, God has emotions. God has a will. God has intellect. 
In fact, just look at the verses right before God gives Moses his name. Pay attention to the way that God describes what's happening. Yahweh said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am what? Concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with missing them. Listen, if God were just some force, who cares about what happens in this world? He wouldn't care about you. He wouldn't care about me. It would just be a big old mess. But God is not just a force. We're told here, God sees, he hears, he's concerned, he comes down to rescue. Don't have a picture of this old man up on a throne with a white beard, unconcerned about your life. If you doubt the heart of God for you, I just want you to read those verses again on your own, right? Just again, saying this to you, I've seen you. I've heard your cries. I know your sufferings. I have come down to rescue you. The enemy of our souls, we're going to encounter him in Genesis 3, wants us to believe God doesn't care that you're an accident. But friends, God has a name. And in his name, he sees your suffering. He sees your loneliness. He sees your struggles, your suffering. And he says to you, I care about you. I see you. In fact, I care so much, I came down to rescue you. And we read that in the most famous verse in the Bible, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved you that he gave his only son, one and only son, that whoever, who is also God, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's Yahweh. This is who God is. And friends, I only have really one takeaway for you today that I hope you hear. Again, if you're on your notes, don't put them away because we're going to read God revealed himself as Yahweh so we can know him personally. If you're here this morning and you're suffering, you feel unself-existent, self-sufficient, triune, personal God has invited you into life with him, period. You are not a mistake. We are not accidents of evolution. Before time even began, Yahweh knew you and loved you And his invitation to you is on your notes here. Would you read this out loud? It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And that's what we have the chance to do right now is to eat together. Interesting that this is what Jesus put in place for us. To remember exactly who he is and exactly what he has done. He has heard us, he has seen us, and he has rescued us. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.